listener, and welcome to this week's episode of the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Arlene Marshall, and today is a special day here at Better Than Fine because once a year, I turn over the show to some special soul and submit myself to their mercy. I mean, I answer their questions. But before I tell you all about that, I want to tell you about something else really quickly. You've probably noticed that this show is on the NASM Podcasting Network. And if you've listened to it for a while, you've heard me talk all about what NASM means to me. And you've probably heard me talk about how much I value and am proud of the NASM Certified Wellness Coaching course. Um, You probably heard ads for it if you listen to the show. And you might have heard me mention that NASM gave a discount to listeners of this show for the Certified Wellness Coaching course through December 4th, which is two days ago from when we're recording this. But so many people who listen to this show were interested in CWC um, that they've extended the code and it's working a little differently now. Right now, if you go to nasm.org to their website, um, it's 50% off as they're part of their holiday sale. But fans of this show using the discount code, get an additional $600 off. And I have been told by the marketing and sales team that it is very, very unlikely that they will sell this certification at this price point again, like ever. Our code is the lowest price that they've ever offered, and they've now extended it through December 31st of 2022. So through the end of the year. So if you've been on the fence, if you have been thinking about becoming a certified wellness coach, doing the course, um, you're going to want to jump on that. So the promo code is MarshallCWC. You go to nasm.org, click wellness at the top, and that's all the information about the certification. Um, But be mindful when you check out, the code is MarshallCWC. There's also direct, direct links on my Instagram and on my LinkedIn. Okay, business done. Let's get to the fun part. Um, So I've been thinking about how to introduce the guest host for this year's takeover show. Um, If you're a newer fan of the show, every year uh, in December, the first week of December, it's my birthday, we we have somebody else take over the show. And I want you to think about if there has been a teacher, a mentor, someone in your life who has believed in you in a way that you don't believe in yourself. Like they see something in you that you later find out is there, but you don't know that 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 great belief, it just unlocks something in you of your own potential. Um, The guest host for the show today is that person for me personally. Um, And partly I like that I get to give him all these compliments and he has to listen to me say it. Um, So our guest host uh, for this year's takeover show is Rich Fahmy. He is the uh, content development and production manager at NASM. So he is the guy pulling together all of the brilliant content and people and creators and creative intelligence behind the certs, the courses, the big ideas at NASM. He's been in fitness for over 20 years. He's got a bachelor's in psychology, a master's in exercise science, a doctorate in health science and organizational leadership, and he's my friend. So Rich Fahmy, welcome to Better Than Fine. You're in charge now. Uh, (laughs) Take it away, friends. Wow. I didn't know I was going to need tissues for that introduction. You didn't warn me about that one. That's so kind of you. Thank you. (laughs) And you're right. I can't say anything. And so you you can say those things without my immediate objection. So I'm just going to say thank you. you. And uh, I will say the doctorate is un- is in progress. So no one called me doctor yet. But yes. Oh, you know, I I, I I was on the I was like, oh, is it done? I'm not sure if it's. I'm just gonna not say yet. it. So Close. fine. Close. We'll get it there. We'll get it there. Um, 
And uh, yeah, thank you for having me on for this very special episode. I'm so honored to do it. Happy birthday. You. As we go ahead and do this, um, I will start out by saying, I, you know, we originally thought we could call this two Sagittarians in a podcast, but at the risk <laughs> of alienating all the Gemini's <laughs> and Scorpios who are more likely to be offended, we decided to go mm. against that and then mm-hmm. just, you know, stick with the birthday takeover. So um, I will also say special shout out to folks across Instagram and LinkedIn who contributed questions, uh, especially Neil, Jerry, Mallory, and Alejandra. And so I'll be doing a mishmash of questions because some of them were related and interrelated. And I may have some follow-up sprinkled in there. I also have one that I have not uh, even hinted at. So we'll, we'll see how that one goes. You'll, you'll spot it when, when I say it. But um, <laughs> I tried to group these in something that makes sense, but I, I'm sure I'll be going off of uh, my, my prepared questions a little bit here. But we'll see. But uh, anyway, could I, could I try an intro? Yeah, go go, go, uh, go bananas, man. It's your show now. I just I just hang nice. out here. Okay. Okay. You're listening to the Better Than Fide podcast. I am Rich Fami, your host, sitting in for Darlene on her annual birthday takeover episode where we put Darlene in the guest chair. So I'll be firing some questions away from uh, you as listeners that have, have come up over the past couple of weeks and uh, we'll have some fun. How's that? Is that good? Could I could I do this professionally at some point? What do you think? Oh yeah, take over the show, man. I, Eric's going to fire me any second. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, no, I don't want that, Eric. Don't do that. Um, okay, here's the first one. First one is a positive psychology and sports performance question. I thought this was really interesting because we hear about sports psychologists and and whatnot, but I don't know that positive psychology gets specifically mentioned in sports performance. But the question comes from. It sounds like the mother of the Division One uh, swimmer and or aspires to to swim at the d1 level loves practice but actually hates competition even though they're very talented um, are there techniques like meditation visualization mindfulness etc uh, to help this person get out of their own way and just swim like they do in practice while they're in competition yeah, I I will admit to having to to stretch and struggle to wrap my head around an effective answer because of course whenever I go into trainer brain the answer to every question is it depends and there's so many variables that one might approach um, and and you're right Rich in your question setup it's like oh my brain immediately goes to sports psychology um, but when I thought about it a little bit more deeply, some of the influences we're seeing in sports psychology now actually have their roots in positive psychology. And some of the sports psychologists who I admire came out of positive psychology. Um, so there's a deep undercurrent that kind of blends there. But when I really dug in with myself about well, how do I relate to this question, it was less as an athlete because I always played team sports, right? I always had like other people to rally me and help me get in the space, but related more to how I feel about when I was acting. Um, so I used to be an actor. That's what my undergraduate degree is in. And it was not uncommon for me to love the entire process of rehearsal, of building my character, of of playing with the beats and the motivations, and then after opening night, not wanting to do the show anymore. Um, and so, to me, that feels very similar to this. And my, you know, the first thing that I would want to know about this athlete is what do they love about whatever their sport is, in this case, swimming. Like, what do you love about swimming? What do you love about practice? What is it? And how could we carry that strength 
into the competitive experience. And that would be a really classic positive psychology approach is like, what's good about the part of it that you like? What are your strengths? And how could we leverage those strengths into the part of it that you're, you're struggling with? The other big one that jumped out to me is how could we prime flow? Because what it sounds like to me is this athlete is um, able to get into a flow state, into a rhythm in um, practice, but the pressure, the intensity of competition is distracting from the thing he actually loves, which is swimming. So whether it's music, you know, when I, again, when I think about myself as an actor on the shows that required a lot of um, solo time, I did a few solo shows, my whole pre, like from the moment, moment before I stepped on stage back about 90 minutes would be really staged to prime me to walk out on stage in a state of flow. And oftentimes that involved music, it involved breath work, it involved some embodied work like um, yoga asana. Um, specifically in this question, the um, she asked about mantra. And the last thing I want to say about this is that I think mantra or any kind of affirmation is only effective when we imbue it with some kind of meaning. Um, and in the case of you know, a real affirmation or a mantra, it's almost like a clap, right? It snaps you out of one state of, of consciousness and into another. And so whatever it is that he's saying to himself that he's repeating to in his mind or, or anybody, it's got to resonate in order for it to work. It can't just be like nonsense syllables for it to be effective if what we're trying to do is prime a certain state. Um, so if we were going to go that route, I would say like, what's something that you say to yourself in practice and what does it mean? And how could we use that as a lever to pull to prime a different state of being? Um, it's a big question. So that's why it's got such a big answer. I love that. I love that. So do you think you can actually use pressure or pressure situation to trigger flow? Oh yeah. But I think there's also like, it's easy to miss the mark, right? Like I'm, I'm not the expert in this. I would defer to our friends over at Exos, but I think that it's easy, whether we're talking about athletic performance, public speaking, um, you know, teaching presentations, like pick your thing. When we over upregulate our nervous system, right? You get too much excitement, too much adrenaline, what people were call nervousness. Now you're so jittery, you're creating that upcycle of, um, you know, like, I feel nervous. Oh, no, now I'm more nervous. Oh, I'm watching my nervousness, like stack, stack, stack. And that's not going to prime a flow state. But a bit of adrenaline, a bit of stimulation allows us to be upregulated enough to hit that groove because you want to be upregulated enough that you have attention and focus, right? Like taking a nap is not a flow state but you don't want to be so upregulated that you're like nervous and can't get in the groove. Gotcha. That makes sense. So you're kind of finding that optimal level of stress to actually perform, right? Cause that's a necessity depending on the type of activity and, and your skill set going in. Love oh it. yeah. Like, and, and that's actually my favorite reframe for stuff like this. I use this in myself is like, Oh, I've got a big speech coming up. Um, I'm starting to get nervous. I put that in soft quotes. If I can tell myself, like, you're not nervous, you're just excited, right? Like, you're, you're an appropriate response is to be excited. Like, you need a little bit of stimulation to get up in front of the room and do the thing. Like, I always feel my stomach drop a little bit when the countdown starts when we do the show. 
Um, and it's being able to catch that and tell myself what it is and what it isn't so that I can use it instead of like being overstimulated. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Perfect. I think that's great advice. Um, okay. Now you mentioned acting and this actually leads us into a, a, another great question that we got. And I know you've hinted at it and, uh, on social media and on this show, but I, we did get a request to, uh, for you to tell your superhero origin story. Oh. Um, and, a, an add in from a mutual friend of ours did ask about theater in particular. So if you want to talk about theater and, and how that informs your career today, we can do that as well. But, but whatever aspects of your, your superhero beginnings. Yeah. Uh, the would you like to origin story? Yeah. Yeah. This um, mutual friend of ours who asked the, for it to be on the show um, knows that I like to joke that I'm an X-Man. Um, so when I was, so I grew up playing all the tall people sports, right? I'm six foot one. I played basketball. I played volleyball, but I didn't think I wanted to play in college because I was going to school to be an actor. I didn't think I'd have time. And so I turned down my offers to play in college. I took a year off completely from sport. And then when I was a sophomore, um, I got recruited pretty actively um, by the UAlbany women's rugby team. They saw me walking around campus and they told themselves we want her. And um, so I started playing rugby and I loved it. And for anybody who doesn't know, any most people, of course, react like, oh, my God, rugby. Uh, but like it is it is such a fun and visceral game. And the people, there's such an incredible community around rugby, especially women's rugby, because it's so much smaller and more like intimate and you just form these incredible friendships. And so um, what I didn't know at that point in my life uh, was I have a genetic disorder that predisposes me to joint dislocations. And so tackling 200 pound women for fun was definitely the wrong sport. And so by the time I was 23, I couldn't walk barefoot at all. So I had to put on sneakers in order to use the bathroom at night. Um, I couldn't carry anything in the left, in my left arm. Um, the weight of my own arm would start to slide the ball and socket joint of my shoulder out of the socket. Um, and I would actually like walk down the street with my thumb hooked in my backpack strap to keep it from happening. Uh, and one day I was having a hard time getting off the couch. And my then husband, um, I made a joke when he came to help me off the couch of like, oh, it sucks getting older. And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, you know, getting older, your body doesn't work right. He's like, we're 23. And at that point in my life, I had genuinely thought um, that everyone was in pain all the time because that was my lived experience. And him questioning that, um, you know, so I, I had said to him like, what, you're not like, you don't feel like your body's falling apart. And he said, no. And that light bulb moment of not everyone is in debilitating pain all the time. Um, changed my life, changed the whole trajectory of my life. So um, when I went to the doctor to ask them about that, I was diagnosed with um, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Fortunately, it's the type that uh, isn't fatal, but it is very uncomfortable to live in an EDS body. Unfortunately, the physical therapist I was referred to, um, you know, this is 15 years ago. So they told me, you know, you're not going to get better. You're not going to hike mountains and rock climb and run races. Like you're going to be a sedentary person. Like it's time for you to lower your expectations. And so I fired them and uh, essentially decided like, hey, I did a lot better when I was stronger, when I was lifting to make me a better basketball player. Maybe there's something here. 
And I spent the next five years figuring it out on my own through trial and error. And that's what led me out of the entertainment industry and into the fitness industry was, okay, I was by 27, I was running 5Ks and rock climbing all over the country. And if I could figure it out, maybe I could help some other people figure some things out too. And I knew I didn't want to be a physical therapist because of that experience. Um, I didn't want insurance companies telling me what I could help with. Um, and I knew I also, I didn't want to work at the, the clinical level. And so I was fortunate enough to find a trainer education program um, and eventually get hired for a big corporate gym. And that set off eight years of being a trainer and from the very beginning, working with people with chronic illness or who'd had catastrophic injuries, essentially the people who walk in and the membership advisors are like a little bit scared. Um, they were my bread and butter. And they're also what um, the man who's now my husband does. So when he was the, the one at the gym that I worked at um, and I sought him out and was really like, I want to do what you do. And at first he was very dismissive. He's like, new trainers never stay. New trainers never get it. I was like, I'm the one that gets it. Um, and that, you know, that path led me into working in all these different holistic ways because I wanted every tool I possibly could have to help my clients figure out how to live in bodies that were different than what they'd been taught to expect. And eventually it brought me to wanting tools for mindset. And that's what brought me into positive psychology. And so really the reason that our, our mutual friend asked it the way that she did my superhero origin story is that um, now I'm going to try not to cry on camera on my birthday. Um, having Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, having this thing that causes me to be in pain most of the time is actually my superpower. It is a genetic mutation, which is why I say I'm an X-Man um, as much as I love Wonder Woman. But um, without having EDS, I wouldn't have been inspired to try to help other people to live lives as fully as they can, regardless of the condition of their body. It caused me to learn how to question my assumptions about life and living and other people's lived experience versus my lived experience. And it's what has driven me to learn so much about the human body and mind and experience and integration and how we grow. And it's also given me a life where I don't have this assumption that I'm always going to be bulletproof because, you know, when I was 23, I was in a condition that most people don't have until they're retired. And I don't take any of that for granted. And it also means that I really can meet my clients where they are emotionally, because you might look at me and think like, oh, look at that big, tall, strong woman. Um, and what you know, don't know is that I, I literally couldn't walk when I was 23. And so at a time that everybody else is off making their like big mistakes, I was doing a lot of physical therapy. So there you go. I managed to get through it without crying. <laughs> wow, that was amazing. Thank you for, for sharing all that. That's a huge amount of vulnerability you just threw out there. Um, and uh, that is a wonderful story of someone's own experience and pain informing their mission really is what that is. And, and um, you know, your, your fans and your clients and listeners are, are um, I'm sure in some strange way, grateful for your own experience. Um, even though we don't wish that upon somebody that you've, you've been able to turn that into something that helps other people. So nice work, my friend. Um, you're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I am your host, Rich Fahmy. And if you're wondering, Darlene sounds different. It's because I just said my name. It's Rich Fahmy and it's not Darlene doing the hosting duties. And uh, I am instead in the host chair and Darlene is in the guest chair today on her annual birthday takeover episode. So um, 
with that, you you just talked about kind of you know transitioning into the fitness arena. Definitely something that was uh, not necessarily clinical because of your own experience with it. I, I will say I had a very similar experience, but mine was neurology. Um, I I eventually saw fitness as a form of of well care and health care um, and Western medicine generally becoming more about disease care and sick care. Um, even though let's not get it twisted, right? Western medicine does some things extremely well. So it's not, I'm not bashing Western medicine, but in terms of what I wanted to do in the health and wellness and fitness continuum, it was not as a neurologist. Um, but if we have now someone who is in the, uh, the fitness realm and they want to either incorporate more wellness practices or wellness coaching, or even maybe transition completely over. Maybe they found that that they want to move to wellness coaching um, as their main offering. Do you have uh, maybe a, a whatever the golden sort of single piece of advice to start out with would be for that person? Oh, you know, I can't pick just one. I'm like a human okay. Pringle. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to pick one. And I saw it. I was like, there's not one piece of advice. Like the answer to every training and coaching question is always, it depends. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I'm shameless self-promotion here. I did write a book on this. So <laughs> if you go to my website, darlene.coach slash fitness, um, I think I still even have the discounted price up from when I was off speaking a lot. So um, I, the book is called Personal Trainer and Wellness Coach. And it is literally about this question. Um, but I'm also going to answer the question. So I think there's two. The first one is always to me, get qualified in the thing you're talking about. Like books are great. Podcasts are great. YouTube is great. Huzzah. But find a certification in the thing that you want to say that you are an expert on. And I know, I know a fair number of people who are like, yeah, but certifications are just the certification companies trying to get my money. And I say that knowing like this show is on at ASM's podcast network. But I challenge that if the people who built that cert are qualified, if they really are world-class experts, that is not the same as reading a general market book on a topic. It's just not. And it's not just about knowing the information, it's knowing how to deliver it. And I think that's probably one of my biggest pet peeves in the fitness space is fitness professionals calling themselves coaches, but they don't actually know how to coach. And they don't, they couldn't tell you what the difference is between training and coaching, right? Like they think that the difference between training and coaching, and I'm not talking about athletic coaching. I'm talking about like wellness coaching, nutrition coaching, thinking that the difference between training and coaching is how many certifications you have when it's actually the techniques that you use. So the first bit of advice is like get qualified to actually coach if you want to be a wellness coach or you want to incorporate coaching tools into your fitness offering, which actually leads to the big thing from a nuts and bolts business perspective, like assuming you are already qualified, you have the skills to pay the bills, it's offer clarity. What are you doing? Are you doing personal training with wellness coaching tools that help clients get unstuck when they are stuck in the execution of personal training? Are you doing a purely hybrid offer where there is training and coaching and you're using both? And how do you structure that? Or are you a wellness coach who also offers movement prescription when somebody it's appropriate for their goals and every answer in between, like they're all valid, but you've got to know what you're actually selling so that your client understands so that you have like confidence in your delivery. Um, and that's so that you can actually meet people where they are. 
Um, so if you're assuming you're qualified, then it's get clear on your actual offer, how you talk about it, how you price it, how you sell it so that people know what they're actually buying into. Love it. Uh, spoiler alert, by the way, I've read Darlene's book and it perfectly answers this question. I'm just Rich was the that. first person to read the book. <laughs> Rich, Rich said got to read it before the copy editor read it. So that is, that is my that, life. That, that's what I do at NASM. I read things before a copy edit gets it too. So that's, that's how I, that's how I roll, I guess. You've um, read a lot of things I have written, possibly more yes. than anyone else. <laughs> Well, that's a good, I'd take that as an honor. Um, perfect. But it, the book does answer that question perfectly. So if you're, if you're listening right now and you, and you are a fitness professional looking how to do more wellness stuff that, and we, we didn't plan a plug of your book. I'm just telling you though, that, that it, it does answer that question very well. And um, other things like how to yeah. talk about it, how to package it, how to sell it, like how to meet people where they are. Like, it's not just about this, um, but it is also about this. Perfect. Perfect. I love it. Um, okay. So let's get to some tools and strategies. I've got a, a few questions here grouped together. And this is another one. I, I have a follow-up to this because I, I think it brings up an interesting point. So we'll do the first part first, hence why it's the first part. Uh -huh. uh, if, if you could only use one wellness tool, technique, or strategy for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? This question is so hard. Like, is it using it only for me? Is it using it for my clients? Is it for everyone? Like, I, I want, I was like, Rich, disambiguate, but I'm going to, I'm going to answer it anyway, even though okay. I want to ode, this question is so hard. Yep. Um, the answer is movement, in my opinion, for a few reasons. Like the first is that movement has such a broad impact on the human, like organic experience, right? Like getting regular movement affects pretty much every system of the body including like if we're talking about purely from a wellness perspective, like it increases your sensitivity to your own serotonin. Um, it changes your like neurophysiology. Uh, it re-regulates your relationship to your own nervous system. So like if someone's struggling with stress, it's part of why movement helps with like emotional health and well-being. So it's definitely movement, but to me, the big, the bigger container of why is, you know, everybody, every single one of us, everyone you're ever going to meet, everything you're ever going to do happens because you're in a body and movement has a profound impact on our embodiment. And, you know, one of the drums that I beat in the positive psychology space is that all well-being is actually embodied well-being for this reason. And assuming that like sleep is not what we mean by wellness tool, <laughs> um, like I said, this is such a hard question to answer, but if I could only pick one movement, like, I don't know how narrow my answer needs to be, but it would probably be like 20 minutes of moderate intensity cardiovascular activity every day, because it makes you more sensitive to your own serotonin. It helps with circulation. It helps with metabolism. It helps with hormonal health. It helps with everything like 20 minutes of huffing and puffing, but still could have a conversation. Perfect. I love that. I love that answer. Okay. Okay. Good. So, Cause I was like, I don't know what to do will, with this. <laughs> I will. No, you, yeah, I think you hit it perfectly. Cause I, in the end, the specific going into specific modality and intensity and duration was actually, I think a bonus compared to the, it relative to the person's intention behind the question. So <laughs> I know she'll appreciate that. So the, um, the follow-up I have, because I, I think whenever we get a question, about, um, you know, what is the one thing or reducing 
a collection of, of, of practices to one yeah. strategy or what have you. I, we get into a lot of the, the retail space and marketers and, and purveyors of wellness goods and services. They always present their things or items or whatever it is they're selling, their programs as the panacea of health, right? Like mm -hmm. this, this is the one thing. If you do this one thing, then everything else matters. You know, if you eliminate this one thing from your diet or you start eating a bunch of this thing in your diet, oh, just, or take this one supplement or go to this one retreat, like, you know, everything just falls into place. Um, do you, can you comment on how should a person wade through all that stuff? And I'm trying to not curse when I say that, wade through all the stuff <laughs> um, of, of everyone saying, no, no, my solution is the solution. You, you phrased your question a little differently than the one you'd sent me. And so I'm going to answer the question that you asked, and then I'm going to answer the question okay. in its original form, um, which is how does a person wade through all of it? Um, I think that it comes with knowing yourself and learning about how bodies actually work, how minds actually work. And for me, the more I came to understand my own like integration, my own physiology, my own biology, those, those, I think I recently said it on an Instagram reel as fluffernutters, those fluffernutters start to fall <laughs> away. Like the things that yeah. don't make any sense and they don't resonate with you and they don't actually work, like try it. And if it doesn't work, then you can ask yourself, well, why? Um, but that actually leads into the second answer that I have, which was, you know, you talked about in, in the original, um, when you asked the question, it came off more like, well, why, why are they putting it off as their pansia? What's right. that about? Um, and you kind of said it, which is, it's about marketing. It's about, you know, wellness is going to be a $7 billion international industry by 2027. And people desperately want to feel good in a post-pandemic world, um, mid-pandemic world, depending on which pandemic we're talking about right now, because now mm -hmm. we've got more than one. Um, and you add in social unrest and fear for the future and an unstable climate and people want to feel good and you can market at that. Um, and I think the biggest thing that I want everyone to know, and this is actually my favorite pinned reel on my Instagram. If you want to hear me say it over and over and over again, not everything works for everyone all the time. Recommendations I make on this show are not going to work for you every time. They're not going to work for everyone. The 20 minutes a day of moderate intensity cardiovascular activity I just alluded to, some days it's not going to feel good. But you take it like you take your medication. You take it like you approach your meditation. Um, meaningful wellness practices don't always work for everyone all the time because, as Ani DeFranco said, egos are like hairdos. They're different every day depending on how we slept the night before. Uh, and so you're going to wake up in a different state of being. And that's okay, but learning the real grounding practices of how humans actually work empowers you to cut through the fluff and utter nonsense that is just marketing and get to a deeper core of what's real and true. And, you know, there are very few things that I directly put my name on. It is part of why I was willing to put my name on you know, our baby, I think of Rich is Rich's baby too, like certified wellness coach is I was allergic to the word wellness for most of my career. When NASM came calling and said, Hey, will you work on this thing? I was like, working on a wellness thing. 
And then they said, here's a lot of science. And I said, oh, okay, I'll take you for reals. Um, and one of the things I'm really hopeful, and I don't feel like I need to hide this from the world, it's like, I want to change what people use the word wellness for, because there is so much nonsense out there that is actually hurting people. And I think what we have the potential to do is change what it means and what it does if we continue to have practices with integrity. Um, and that's what I want. That's what I want a CWC to mean. There you go. There's a big answer, my friend. That's a fantastic <laughs> answer. Um, yeah, let's see. You're watching and you're listening, actually, not just watching, listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I am your host, Rich Fami, sitting in for Darlene. I really like saying that. I, I might say that a few more times. Yeah, uh, say it as much as you want. Uh, but we are on Darlene's annual birthday takeover episode. So Darlene is in the hot seat, as it were. And uh, we were just talking about um, purveyors of wellness goods and services and uh, their marketing intent or their, their strong marketing efforts to get you to buy into their solution as being the right one. And you also you use the word practices, and I think it's really important to key in on that, is they're called practices for a reason. And that's just something that you chip away at every day and you really do practice it. It's not, they're not called, you know, they're called meditation practices or mindfulness practices, not mindfulness perfections, right? So we, we, we have it something that we have something that's a practice and a strategy that we do daily or every other day or weekly, whatever it is, but it's something that we consistently work on. So I think that's a really important, important. You know, there. I want to speak to that if I can, because mm -hmm. um, it's, it's bringing a bell in my mind. You know, one thing, so Martin Seligman's a founder of positive psychology. He founded the UPenn master's in applied positive psychology. He was one of my professors. He's very famous. Woo. Um, but I can remember in a particular class, him talking about like people not sustaining we call them positive interventions. They're like the exercises for positive psychology and how like, oh, people don't sustain them months or years later. Um, that means, you know, does that mean they're not working or they're not sticky or they're not whatever? And what I've always thought it meant was you learn a tool and then you use it when it's appropriate to use it. And so like people might be surprised to hear, I don't actually meditate every day. I have some kind of mindfulness practice every day, but it's not always meditation. I use meditation for some very specific outcomes and states of self-regulation. And when I need it, I use it. Um, I don't lift every day because I have an Ehlers-Danlos body. It doesn't work the same way as everyone else. Um, but, you know, I don't, I talked about it on the gratitude episode. I don't write gratitude letters or write gratitude practice every single day because I want that tool to be powerful when I need it. I don't want to be fully adapted so that the tool is no longer as effective. So you can learn practices and pull them out of your toolbox when you need them. My toolbox is apparently a backpack uh, for anyone <laughs> watching on YouTube. Um, you don't have to have like 15 practices every day to be well. I don't use a hammer when I need a screwdriver. I don't need to do every single practice every day in order, I mean, even to be well, but one of the, I think one of the most annoying things I encounter in the space is optimization. Like mm -hmm. the idea of self-optimization, like I'm just going to keep up leveling until like, like at what point do I get to just enjoy my life? Like mm -hmm. now we're starting to see that one of the ways to make someone really unhappy is to constantly ask them how happy they are. At what mm -hmm. point are we missing the forest or the trees? Because we're so focused on all the perfect practices that we don't actually get to practice like living a life. Right. It becomes just more stuff you're not hitting. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. Nobody needs that. Yeah. I dig that. I dig that. Uh, by the way, that gratitude episode, um, I felt that one because I had very much the same experience when I tried a gratitude practice for the first time. So I won't go into it too deep, but if you're interested in this folks and you tried gratitude oh, I practices think and they didn't feel that great about it, they should watch that episode. Listen I think that. that was your self-invitation to tiptoe into the water there, Mr. Host. You don't, <laughs> we're not going to get like a rich story out of this. Well, I just, I felt a lot of the same. Okay. I'll go into a little bit. I, I felt <laughs> I felt it. a lot of the same where I just kind of, it felt forced to yeah. me, you know, and then I, I, and then because it felt forced, I didn't feel like I was doing it right. And so it just became something else that everything at the time, everyone, it was a very hot topic, right? And we can get into media and how they talk certain things up and incomplete research and things like that. But, but, you know, everything at the time that I was looking at was, oh, gratitude practice is important. And there became all these gratitude tracking apps and just write three things a day. And, oh, you know, your life changes, right? It was a panacea. And gratitude changes everything, right? That was sort of the thing that I was hearing, uh, hearing and seeing. So then when I did it and went, wow, I, I kind of suck at this because I don't think I'm I'm doing this right. Yeah. Um, that and then then you kind of go, well, everyone says this is good for me, and everyone goes, this is this is it. This is what you need to do to be grateful and prepared and happy in life. And I and I do it, and I go, this I don't think this feels like this is supposed to feel. And so then you're actually you know failing at the panacea. So that's. That's also actually, in my opinion, another danger of the panacea is if it doesn't work for you, then you're going, well, now what do I do yep. if this doesn't feel right? So that I was talk my about this um, when I teach my self-care workshop, um, I teach a corporate self-care workshop that um, I kick off with trying to like pop the bubble and what we think of self-care in influencer culture, like what we think it actually means. Mm -hmm. And one of the dangers that I see of self-care culture, culture that has evolved into this wellness culture that we now have is, okay, my favorite influencer said to do this. So when I went and tried it and mm -hmm. it didn't work and I don't feel better. Or, okay. Now, now they say to do this and didn't work and I don't feel better. Okay. Well, I can't afford the really expensive luxury trip to Bali. So that's <laughs> not an option. But this other influencer says I should try this, you know, this beauty treatment or this kind of massage or this kind of supplement, and I still don't feel better. And at what point do people start to say, what's wrong with me? Am I broken? And actually, this, this has been the theme of the day. Um, I might cry again. Uh, I, today I had two final sessions with clients, which doesn't happen, you know, all the time, but it is, I believe, you know, for a coaching relationship to be effective, it should eventually end because the person should go on with their life. Both of these people are people I've worked with for years. It's very obvious it's time for them to like go it alone for a while and they might come back. Um, oftentimes clients do for like little brush up conversations. Both of them said that the most important thing they got out of working with me is that they are not broken. And they don't have to constantly try to fix themselves. And I told both of them, I was like, if that's the only good thing that happens this week, this has been a good week. Because like, that's why I exist. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I can go back to bed, birthday over. Um, <laughs> but I think the reason I bring that up is I want people to know that like, the current marketing milieu, whether we're talking about self-care, we're talking about wellness, we're talking about fitness, is this idea of like, fix it and like try this thing buy this thing and you'll feel better because we've all had such a rough go of it the last few years and honestly you're not broken you're just on a journey and 
you, maybe sometimes you could use better signposts or like a more informed guide, but it's just a journey and there's nothing broken in you that needs fixing. And you don't have to be optimized in order to be well. <laughs> like you just be a person in a process. <laughs> Fold up my collapsible soapbox and wipe my tears <laughs> off and keep going. <laughs> what else you got for that me? Was great. That, was, that was deep. We're going deep on Better Than Fine. We are going deep today. It's like um, it's a good show it's a fun show but it's uh it is it's uncomfortable for me i like asking the questions a lot more yeah well i'm glad i could be part of your discomfort that sounds super weird <laughs> i never thought i'd say that but i'm uh uh there is actually there's a german term for that actually to take pleasure in someone else's discomfort uh, um, so schadenfreude is pleasure in other people's pain freudenfreude okay. is pleasure in other people's pleasure oh okay that's what it is. And those are words that the pain and other, or pleasure in other people's pain, I don't think is actually translated to English. Well, for good reason, I think probably why would you want to translate that? <laughs> but anyway, um, I'll say discomfort. It's a, it's a toned down version. So the, so you said something there when you talked about self-care gurus, which I think is important uh, to touch on. Um, and you are listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I am your host, Rich Fami, in the host share with your normal host, Usual, not normal. I won't say normal. Definitely not normal. Your your usual host, Darlene Marshall, is in the guest chair today, um, fielding the questions as opposed to delivering them. And you you mentioned self care gurus. Is is self care synonymous with wellness? Oh, oh, I don't have an answer to that. Hold on, let's work this out together. Do you have an answer to this? Is this like the lawyer leading? <laughs> No, I don't. Well, I mean, I do have an answer, but I'm asking the question. So I can talk about my answer after you talk about your answer. So I define meaningful self-care as um, practices that meet your foundational human needs so that you can show up in the world to do whatever it is you're here to do. And I guess the question then is like, you know, if wellness is the you know, mental, physical, and emotional betterment of life. I don't know that that is encompassing of all of what, you know, like if I use Maslow as my basis, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which fun mm -hmm. fact about Maslow never drew a pyramid. I normally represent it as like circles, like That's... starting at physical health, going right. out, radiating out into the world. Um, and I like Scott Barry Coffin draws it as a boat, like your three foundational needs um, categories are the bottom of the boat. And then everything you add to that is the sail so that you can go off and explore the world. Oh, I like um, this. It's also very cute. Yeah, it's very cute. Scott's cool that way. Um, but I don't know that wellness is all encompassing of all of the aspects of our human needs. And so I think it's an important process and facet, but I wonder as I'm talking this out, I'm like, I think wellness might be like your lower three like your foundational tiers of Maslow. So the core being um, physical needs, then you have safety, then you have love and belonging. It's like, is that where wellness ends? Does it go a little bit into esteem? But if we go full Maslow, that then includes esteem, self-actualization and self-transcendence. And to me, self-care is all of those layers integrating. I'm not sure if wellness includes all of them. I probably need to think about it more. There you go. Is like that. that more I like answer that answer. than you expected? <laughs> that's, that's, that is more the answer than I than I expected. And I actually really like that answer. And that's now you have to, to tell me about. yours. <laughs> well, mine was I I I wasn't sure. <laughs> it was my first instinct on on seeing that one. 
Um, but I, my first thought was, I think we had to define what self-care is because that, because self-care gets used so much in marketing because everyone talks about this, uh, you know, this, this bath bomb is self-care, this candle is self-care, this, this workout is self-care. Having a glass of wine and getting into the bed, into the bathtub is wellness, Rich. Right, right. Unwrap, unwrap your dark chocolate square and lay back on the couch with soft music playing. Hashtag self-care. So, you know, if we look at, I really like that you framed it in Maslow's hierarchy because that, that does then uh, make, well not make, but it, it does bring logic to your relationship between wellness and self-care. So um, well done. I'm, so that's my thought on it. Do you know it. Was the it, was confusion of like the self-care movement? Mm-mm. Like how what do you know about? So the background, if we go the deep background on the movement of self-care in like the social, you know, collective consciousness, it started with people with chronic illnesses. Mm-hmm. And it was um, health providers recognizing that if you have a chronic illness and you take better care of your foundational human needs, you can heal your, I mean, heal yourself is not the phrase that I want, but like you can mitigate your symptoms. You can have a better time. You can show up more fully in the world if you're taking ownership of like how your body and mind work. And so as you know, those of us in the chronic uh, illness world call ourselves spoonies. That's for a different episode. Um, But as a spoonie, like knowing that that's the deep roots of self-care and then seeing it co-opted to like sell chocolates, um, you know, it's hard to not be a little peeved. Like Mm -hmm. there is a deeper, more nuanced and more full version of this conversation that we could choose to step into if we want to as like a social culture, but instead it's money which I have a hard time with. <laughs> That's another episode. I think we're going to also another episode. Get, get into uh, next year, probably. So, um, okay, I've got one final question. And this is the question I did not prepare you with. Dun, dun, dun. All right. All right. Who is your favorite NASM employee? And why is it senior <laughs> instructional designer, Jerry Dow? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. That was my answer. That was my <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, does she know that you're going to ask me this question? Yes. Oh, was this her question? Well, I, I modified it. Okay. I modified oh, it. That's so bit. funny. As you were saying it, I thought you were going to end with yourself to be cute. Mm-hmm. Um, but so for, for you, dear listener, who one of you is going to be Jerry, um, one of the reasons that I really love building out new coursework with NASM has been getting to work with Jerry. So Jerry is, you know, the educational adult learning expert. I don't know. Is, is that the right phrase? Did I say it right, Rich? That's, that's <laughs> like, what I say. She had, okay. I, learning expert encompasses so much that I figured it's broad enough yeah, and specific fair, enough right? to, to get at her skills. Yeah. Jerry deeply understands how adults learn things. And she invests her human essence in making sure that someone who takes an NASM course has the best potential of learning the things that are going to be most advantageous for them to go off in the world and like make people's lives better. And to me, that is like a delicious essence of what actualizing actually is, right? Like you're going to take the things that you're good at, that you like to do, that you're a nerd about, and then you're going to use them to help other people do the thing that they're here to do. Um, and so it's a pleasure to work with her on that level, but also Jerry's a big old nerd. And so am I, and we nerd out together all the time. And it's just the stinking best. 
she also wears like great cat eye glasses and she's a Disney nerd and a great mom. And she's just a pleasure to interact with as a human being. Um, I feel like I'm doing a disservice to all of the other NASM employees who have been so wonderful to me, uh, but Jerry deserves praise and love. So thanks for that layup. Yeah, she well, she does. She does deserve all the, the good things that you mentioned. And um, as a coworker of Jerry's and teammate of Jerry's, I agree. So I'm not offended in the slightest. Eric, our producer might be offended that you didn't pick him, but that's really his trauma to work out and we'll let him deal with that on his own. But you know, something like that is like playing, a, you just put rude in the chat. Um, someone like that is like playing like a contest that's also run by the company you work for. Like as a mm -hmm. person who works on this show, uh, he and I are ineligible. I'm not an NASM employee either. So <laughs> peek behind the curtain. Good, um, good. Rich, I also want to say there is one question that was asked that I think was important that we didn't get to. And I just right. want, um, and I don't know his name, the person who asked the question this morning, if he's listening, I want you to know that I'm going to work it into a future episode. So stay tuned for January. Um, I'm sorry that we did not get to your question. We, we care about you. <laughs> yes, that was Alejandro's question. I will mention There we that. go. Alejandro, yes. Alejandro your question you will, will get... inspire a, a session in, or an episode in January. Yes, you will get you will get your question answered because we appreciate you taking the time to post it. So we will answer it. Well, Darlene yes, will answer can. it. So. I will answer it. Um, but <laughs> another thing that's going to happen in January, Rich will be on Better Than Fine in January. Do you want to say what your episode is or do we want to tease them and not tell them? I mean, we could sort of tease. I mean, the, the idea is, you know, when we talk about the panacea sort of deal going on in marketing and, and all that, I think a huge part of that um, is diet culture. And, um, you know, all the research in the world is, no, well, not all the research in the world, a substantial amount of research is showing how, you know, something you recently just talked about, intuitive eating is a far better strategy when we're looking at weight loss, but then also diet culture does a lot of damage when it comes to our perceptions of ourselves what we believe we need to do to be healthy. And uh, so we're gonna tackle that with uh, the, the NASM way, which is evidence-based. Yeah. Peer-reviewed information. Yeah, and I good thing I plugged all of your creds at the beginning because you're that evidence-based for this episode, <laughs> for that episode. Perfect. Um, I think, our, can I take it back over? Is it, is sure, it reins are, are handed back. Yeah, all right, it's my show again. Um, Rich Fahmy, thank you for being uh, the facilitator of my discomfort. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you for having me as the facilitator of your discomfort and uh, anytime. Yeah, I appreciate you, my friend. Um, so you've been listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I want to circle back and give you that discount code that we talked about in the beginning. If if you're interested in CWC, it's Marshall CWC at checkout uh, for the full discount. If you have been enjoying this show, well, there's a few things that I want to invite you to do. The first, reach out to me. Questions, comments, feedback, stuff you want us to do an episode on, you could email me, info at darlene.coach. You can find me on Instagram. I am darlene.coach. LinkedIn, easy to find. Don't be a stranger. If you're a fan of the show, I hope that you've already subscribed. But if you haven't, go ahead and do that. Um, thank you to everybody who's been writing us reviews. I've actually had a few of you DM me about how to find reviews. Um, so if you can't find it, shoot me a DM. Um, I really do appreciate it. It helps the algorithm boost us and other people to find the show. Um, and you could share about the show on socials and go ahead and tag me if you do that. And thank you so much, everybody, for your questions. Thank you for loving this show as much as we love you. Um, be well and take care of yourselves. Thank you.